Amen, amen. Are you free in Christ? Amen. That's what Jesus does. He comes to set you free, and those who believe in him are free indeed. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is what God does. When you hear the good news, good news of Jesus and what he has done, he changes everything about you. My name is Kenneth Bruce, and I'm the senior pastor here at Westwood. And if you're a visitor this morning, thank you so much for taking time to worship with us. I want to welcome those of you watching online via live stream. So glad you're engaged with us this morning. Now, I had an incredible weekend. I had the opportunity uh, this past Thursday, Friday and Saturday, to be in uh, Germantown, Tennessee, to have the opportunity to, to speak at a Disciple Now weekend at a church up there. And uh, it was incredible. Friday night, got to see five teenagers come to know the Lord. And then uh, Saturday morning, another one. And then last night, check this. This is crazy. So it, it's, it's a seven o'clock start. Okay, I, I got with the band. They had a four-hour drive to lead worship this morning at their church. And I had a four-hour drive to come here to preach this morning. And I said, hey, guys, let's, let's try and be done around eight if we can. And, you know, we got a long drive ahead of us. About 8.45, the invitation is still going. 20 teenagers come to know the Lord, and three of them surrender their lives to the ministry. It was unbelievable. And so I didn't get in last night until about 12.30. So if this sermon doesn't make any sense, <laughs> bear with me, okay? But that's, what's so amazing is that God is a missionary God. He is in pursuit of those who are far from him. He calls them and brings them into a right relationship with himself. We see it in the baptistry as people are publicly declaring, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him and I want the world to know he has pursued me, he has rescued me, and he has saved me. That's what God is about. He wants to see people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation come into a right relationship with him. And he has made a way through the work of his son, Jesus. And when we get to Mark chapter five, we see Jesus crossing boundaries to bring one man to faith in himself and then send him out to the nations. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter five. I have great joy as I studied this book week by week and just seeing all the amazing things about Jesus. And in my sermon planning, there's a potential possibility we'll finish this book by the end of 2020. But the longer I study, the more I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to leave this. It's amazing to study the life and the ministry of Jesus and how he was continually impacting people and drawing them to himself and revealing who he is as the son of God. Last week we saw in chapter four where he calmed the storm. He saved the disciples' lives, leaving them in shock and awe over his power over the storms. Now in chapter five, we see why he went to the other side, why he crossed the railroad tracks to get over to a people who needed to be engaged with the gospel. Look with me at Mark chapter five, beginning with verse one. The scripture says, they came to the other side of the sea to the region of the garrisons. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside. And people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and they were all amazed. Jesus has proven that he is the one who is more powerful than the storms by calming the raging hurricane back in chapter four. But here in the text, we see where Jesus is the one who is more powerful than demons. Notice in the text, these three truths. The first is this, demons tremble at the feet of Jesus. Immediately, verse two, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Matthew records two men, but Mark and Luke focus on just one of them. And this one in particular lived, verse three, in the tombs. When Christy and I, we were back in, in Israel, uh, back in uh, this past April, we took a picture of where this took place. In fact, in the upper right-hand screen, you can see the picture uh, where you see the rocky area on the mountain. They've recently excavated that, and that's where they have discovered tombs. It's a cemetery. That's the location of where this man was. This is where he lived. In fact, Chris and I hiked up to that spot. And if you turn around and look behind you, you see the Sea of Galilee below you. This is where the embankment went down into the sea. And this is where the 2,000 pigs ran into the water. Now, the town folk considered this man not just crazy, but they considered him a wild animal. Okay, verse three says that no one was able to restrain him anymore. That word restrain, it means to tame like an animal. Just as the chain could not contain the beast in the sandlot. Here we see, verse four, that this man could not be contained. Chains could not hold him down. They were, verse four, torn and smashed. As a kid, I grew up in a family where I was the youngest cousin. And so every Thanksgiving, I was always the punching bag for all the other boys. In fact, my cousin Brian was both a football player and a bodybuilder, and he thought it was fun to put me into a full Nelson where I couldn't breathe or move. This week, as I was reading the text, I thought, how great would it have been if this guy could have come to meet my cousin Brian? <laughs> where are you at now, Brian? Huh? Like that's who this guy is. He is so strong. He's destroying the chains that are holding him down. 
He's destroying the shackles that these people who lived there, they didn't want anything to do with him. And he is so strong, no one can contain him. His strength is unmatched. His crazy is off the charts. Night and day, he would scream. He would take stones and he would cut himself. But take notice of the posture of this big, strong, untamable beast of a man when he encounters Jesus. Look at verse six. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. Not so big and bad now, huh? You see, this possessed man, he's postured low. He's bowed down on his knees before Jesus. This is a posture that is a foreshadowing of the coming day, Philippians 2.10, in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we see here are demons on their knees bowing before Jesus. There's coming a day in which even Satan himself and all of his demons will bow their knee before King Jesus. This big and strong, powerful man who's possessed by these thousands of demons isn't so strong when he comes into the presence of Jesus. For Jesus has the power to cast them out of the world. He has the power to cast out demons by his word. Isn't it interesting here how the demons speak to Jesus through this man, verse seven. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? It's fascinating. Demons know who Jesus is. They know he is the son of God and they tremble in fear. For Jesus has the power to cast them out by his word. Mark chapter three, verse 11, we studied this. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. In fact, in Luke's gospel account of this experience, this encounter, these demons were terrified that Jesus was going to throw them into the abyss. Now the abyss, according to Revelation chapter nine, is the pit where some demons have been held captive and they await final judgment. But as we see here in Mark five, there are still other demons which are still able to move about on the earth. These demons are, verse seven, terrified of Jesus because he threatens their very existence. So Jesus asks this demon for his name and one of the demons responds, verse nine, my name is legion, for we are many. That word legion, it means a large number. A legion was the largest unit in the Roman army, sometimes having as many as 6,000 soldiers. Now we don't know how many demons were inside this man, but we do know that they're powerful. We see how powerful they were based upon this man's strength, but also the size of the catastrophe that's about to take place here in verse 13. And look at how scared Legion is in his encounter with Jesus. He's begging, he's pleading with Jesus. Verse seven, I beg you before God, don't torture me. Verse 10, he begged Jesus earnestly not to send him out of the region. Verse 12, the demons begged Jesus to send them into the pigs. These demons aren't so tough when they're around Jesus. Now a question I periodically get is, is it possible for a follower of Jesus to be possessed by a demon or by demons? And the answer is no. 
You cannot be possessed by a demon if you are in Christ. Nowhere in scripture do we see a believer who is possessed by a demon. Nowhere in scripture does it teach that believers can be uh, possessed by a demon. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. John writes in 1 John 5.18, the evil one does not touch you. Indeed, the Holy Spirit abides. He lives inside of you if you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit has, Ephesians 1, sealed you until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit lives right here forever. Therefore, it's impossible for you to be possessed. Furthermore, as believers, we don't have to be scared, terrified, or afraid of the enemy. How is that possible? 1 John 4, 4. It says, greater is he who is living in you than he who is in the world. You do not need to fear or be afraid of the enemy because of who lives inside of you. Now, there is a word of caution here. While you must not fear demonic powers, you mustn't become fascinated with them either. They are still powerful. And there is an unhealthy examination of the demonic that can distract you from Jesus. And so what I want to encourage you, be fascinated, not with demons, but be fascinated with Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, Legion here at verse 12, he asks Jesus for permission to go and enter into the herd of pigs. It reminds me of Job chapter one and Job chapter two, where Satan, he has to ask God for permission before he can even touch Job. That's what we see here. We see where verse 13, we see the story takes a shocking turn. The moment when the reader is stunned, we take a, we're shocked by what happens here because we see where Satan has to beg Jesus for permission to enter into the pigs. And then that's what happens, verse 13. The herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Now there's speculation for why the demons went into the pigs, but the clearest explanation is it shows how powerful Legion is. This poor possessed man has suffered greatly under his control and he is so powerful that he sends a herd of 2,000 pigs into the sea. Here is a man who has suffered. He has experienced the aftermath of the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. He was naked. Okay, he was, which is shameful in that culture. Now in American culture, we celebrate nakedness to our shame. But back in that day, to be naked in that culture is the ultimate shame. What did Adam and Eve experience when they realized that they were naked after they sinned? Shame. We see not only the shame of this man, but we see that he was living in a graveyard with dead human corpses as neighbors. And not only did this make him unclean to Jews, but it's a picture of his spiritual condition. He's living amongst the physically dead, but it shows that he is spiritually dead. But this is what Satan wants for all of mankind. Satan is a destroyer who brings death and destruction and seeks to prevent all people from finding life in Jesus. 
This man has been cutting himself with rocks. He has been chained up like a wild beast. And the chains are were human means to try and fix this man, trying to fix the situation. Yet they're insufficient. You see, human means can never defeat a spiritual enemy. Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can redeem. Jesus alone gives life. Jesus alone brings rescue. Jesus alone takes away our shame. And he does so by being publicly shamed on the cross. Jesus was naked and shamed at the cross. Through his death, though, we are made alive through faith in him. Through his own humiliation and condemnation at the cross, Jesus disarmed and disgraced Satan and all of his demons. Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly and he triumphed over them in him. You see, demons Demons tremble at the feet of Jesus for they know he is Lord and sovereign over all. Here is legion and his thousands of demons who have possessed this one man. They have shamed this one man. He is naked. He is living amongst the dead. He is spiritually lost. Jesus shows up and everything changes. There are people in your life who look awful. They make foolish choices. You're sitting thinking, why in the world do you keep doing that? Why are you going there? There are people who seem to make such wild and crazy decisions that it's just like, what is going through your mind? But then when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Jesus is the one who has the power to bring order to the chaos. Jesus is the one who takes away our shame of nakedness and clothes us with his righteousness. Jesus is the one who takes us from physical death and he gives us physical life. Jesus is the one who takes us from spiritual death and he gives us spiritual life. This story is driving us to Jesus and he is the one who is more powerful than Satan and all of his demons. This is such good news for us as believers. You rest in Christ. You trust in Christ. And it's amazing to see that he is not some wimpy savior. He's king. He's Lord. And when he shows up, this guy bows before him in fear. What a picture of what's coming on that great and glorious day when Jesus is going to rule and reign and Satan is going to bow before Jesus. Second truth we see here in the text is that unbelievers reject the influence of Jesus. Once the pigs have drowned, the herders, they ran to town, they spread the news of what happened. The people show up and you can imagine the shock over what's just happened. They come over the hill and they see the pigs bobbing like corks in the middle of the sea. There's this crazy naked maniac, but he's dressed. The man who would howl at the moon is now quiet. The man who is crazy is now sane. The man who was violent is calm. The man who couldn't be controlled by chains is now under the control of Jesus. Beloved, hear me on this. There is no one too far gone whom Jesus cannot save. 
Jesus is powerful to rescue the worst of sinners. And this text is pointing us to the power of Jesus to save anybody and everybody. The guy was the worst of the worst and Jesus changes his life in an instant. You may have a parent or a child or a friend or a coworker or a teammate who just continually walks in foolishness. Like, what are you doing? Your life's a mess. You keep going back to the foolish old ways. What are you doing? Do not underestimate the power of Jesus. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The power of the gospel to change. You see, no one is too far from the reach of the saving grace of Jesus. This is a picture of what Jesus does. When you meet Jesus, he changes everything about you. You go from death to life. You go from shame to freedom, foolishness to wisdom, from darkness to light, from nakedness to being clothed in his righteousness. Now, this is a time to celebrate, but unfortunately, this community, they're not so thrilled about what's happened here. When they saw Jesus and this man in his right mind, verse 15, they're afraid. You see, these, these herdsmen, they give them a play-by-play of what's just happened. And so the people, verse 17, they beg Jesus to leave their region. Instead of rejoicing over this man's deliverance, they were terrified of Jesus and they wanted him to leave. You see, these people cared more about pigs than people. They cared more about swine than souls. Question, Westwood, if people start gathering in here who have a seedy history, are we gonna respond in the same way? Someone shows up here and it just looks like they have had a hard life full of bad choices. Are we gonna say, hey, it's time for you to leave? I sure hope not. What we see here is the power of Jesus to transform. But the world does not want people turning to Jesus. Here is a man whose life has been radically changed. They saw how crazy he used to be. And now he's in his right mind. He's been healed. He's been transformed. He's wearing clothes. What's happened? Jesus. But the people were like, you know what? This just messed up our whole culture Our economy is now gonna start being affected if Jesus gets a hold because now our income, these pigs are now die. They're in the middle of a water. We don't want this Jesus guy around. You see, they were more worried about their wallet than about the power of Jesus. They were more concerned about their economy than the fact that Jesus has come and changed this man's life. Question, what about you? If Jesus begins to transform the people around you, are you gonna find yourself getting frustrated saying, you know what, I kind of wish you could go back the way it used to be. If you walk in on a Sunday morning and someone's sitting in your seat, (laughs) you know how to respond. It's not, excuse me. (laughs) No. It's, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? You have a life group you're connected with? Come on. You get to come sit with me. In fact, Westwood, Someone sitting by themselves should be a red flag. Someone walking around by themselves should be a red flag. If you're an introvert here, I'm sorry. 
but we've got to make sure that we are intentionally engaging people, making sure every single person has the opportunity to be loved and included in a part of this because we see these townspeople, they see this man's life radically changed and they want nothing to do with it. May that never be said of us. And we'd be a people who say, man, you've got a messed up past, absolutely. Let me tell you about Jesus and watch how he is gonna change your life. That's the power of the gospel. So thirdly, I want you to see here in the text that believers obey the commission of Jesus. Y'all, I can't get over this text. I can't. What we're about to see here, I, it blows me away. Jesus gets into the boat where possibly all of the disciples have stayed the entire time. In fact, out of all of three gospel accounts that record this, none of them talk about the disciples getting out of the boat. Now remember, the disciples, they've gone through this storm. They probably still have their nails dug into the boat. And Jesus has now taken them to the Gentile side? Come on, Jesus, not those people. You can't be serious. You, you want to go to them? Now, I don't, I don't want to read too far into this text, but from what it seems to me, Jesus is the only one who gets out of the boat. The rest of the disciples, they're staying in the car with the windows up locked. We're not going out there. We're not going to the other side of the track. It's amazing here. Jesus is intentional. He's missional. He wants to see people come into a right relationship with himself. And so as Jesus is about to push off out to shore, this man begs Jesus to come with him. Now, you would think that Jesus would say, yeah, man, come on. Get in the boat. Now, you can't be one of the 12. We've already picked them, okay? But hey, you can come with me. You can follow me. In fact, before I get up to preach, you'd be a great testimony. You just stand up and just talk about what, the, what I've done in your life and then I'll come up and preach the gospel. Man, we'll, we'll hit the road. That's not what Jesus does here. Jesus does not say, man, come with me. In fact, he does something completely opposite. What does he tell him to do? Look at verse 19. Go. Jesus sends him home to go tell his people of all that the Lord has done for him and how Jesus has had mercy on him. Look at the rapid obedience that's what I can't get over here in the text. In fact, in the column of my Bible, I wrote that down. Rapid obedience. Jesus tells him to go, and the crazy thing happens, verse 20. He went. This man has been healed. He has been rescued. This man went to the people. And what's amazing is he went to the people who he knew their language. He knew their culture. He had relationships. He had skin in the game. And Jesus says, go back to them, and I want you to go tell them of all that I've done for you, verse 20. Now remember, this man, he's not had any training. This man has not been trained in evangelism. This man has not had any discipleship classes. This man has not been taught biblical doctrine. This man has not had a single day of Sunday school. And Jesus says, Go! Beloved, if you've been in church for a while, you know far more than this man did. What I can't get over in this text is how Jesus just challenges, excuse me, Jesus changes this man's life and then he commissions him. Don't feel like you have to be a Bible expert to be used by God. 
Don't think that you have to figure out how to learn more before you can even open your mouth and say something. Don't think that because you're not standing on a platform, if you've never been to seminary, that God can't use you. It's amazing to me the rapid obedience of this man. Now make no mistake, we are to mature in the faith. We are to 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not to remain, Hebrews 6, babies in the faith, still drinking milk when we should be eating meat. We are to mature. We are to grow. In fact, I, I preach in such a way that I want to see you mature in the gospel. I, I want to see you, I, I pray Colossians 2 over you regularly, that you would be complete in him that you would be maturing and growing in the gospel, but may our pursuit of maturity not neglect the commission of Jesus to go and tell what he's done in our life. That's what's so amazing here, is Jesus sends this guy out. What does he have? He has a changed life. He's got a testimony, the story of the grace of Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was insane, y'all, but Jesus brought me to my senses. I was possessed by thousands of demons, but Jesus is greater and Jesus is stronger. You see, your testimony is sufficient for you to go and have impact in your world for Christ. If you're in Christ, you have a story to tell. You have something to say to unbelievers. And the hero of your story is not you, by the way. The hero of your story is Jesus. You and I are the ones who bring the mess. He brings the order and the truth and the grace and his love. And he just shows how powerful he is. We talk about this great gospel where Jesus, the one who came not only to show that he's more powerful than demons, but he is also the one who's even more powerful than death. And we're going to see that next week. But he proves it ultimately through his cross where he goes and he dies and he gives his life so that those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven and redeemed. You are welcomed into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. This is what God offers to you in the gospel. So you've got a story to tell. You've got a testimony to declare. And it's not how great you are, it's how great Jesus is and all that he has done. There's nothing too bad that you have done that keeps you from the love of Jesus. There is no sin too great, even demon possession, that the blood of Jesus can't forgive. The cross of God is him going on record to show how much he loves you and he's made a way for you to be forgiven and he's done it through his son Jesus. And when you do, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Y'all, we see 2 Corinthians 5, 17 right here on display in Mark 5. That's this guy's experience. His old life is dead. His new life is Christ. And we see here where Jesus sends him out. He doesn't have a vast knowledge of scripture. But it's amazing here. If Jesus has changed your life, then you have a story to preach to the world. This man would go throughout the Decapolis. Now, what's the Decapolis there in verse 20? It's 10 Roman cities. And he would go throughout these cities and he would proclaim, I was physically chained up naked in a cemetery. I used to be spiritually chained by demons. I used to mutilate my body with rocks. I used to be the outcast of society. I used to be out of my ever-loving mind, but then I met Jesus. 
Jesus clothed me in his love. Jesus set me free from sin and death. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Do you ever wonder, can God really use me? Here is a man with a shady past, and God uses him to impact an entire region with the gospel. I mean, you don't need to be a Bible expert for God to use you. Reminds me of John chapter 4 where Jesus intentionally goes to Samaria and he encounters a sexually immoral woman who's had five husbands and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. And she is out getting water in the middle of the day because she goes at the hottest part of the day because she knows how much shame she has in her past. She knows how sinful she is and she doesn't want the judgmental stares of the townspeople. So Jesus goes and he sits and he waits for her to show up. He unpacks her sin, shares the gospel with her. She realizes, oh my goodness, I think this is the Messiah. The first thing she does when she realizes who Jesus is, she goes and tells she goes back to Sychar and she goes to the town square and she says, hey, y'all, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Y'all, come with me. And it's amazing to me. Here is this woman who has nothing but sin in her past, but she meets Jesus and she reaches an entire city for Christ. And here I am with all of these degrees and diplomas and ministry experience, I've never reached a city for Christ. You say, you may be thinking, man, is there any way God can use me? What we see in John 4 and what we see in Mark 5 is absolutely. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to be brilliant for Jesus to use your life to go and impact your world for Christ. In fact, that's the impact point, the challenge that I want you to grab hold of today, and it's this. Go proclaim to your world how much Jesus has done for you. The rapid obedience of this man, it shows it's humbling. He didn't wait till he was comfortable enough to share the gospel. He just knew Jesus has changed his life. And so he's gonna tell the story of what he's done at the one who's more powerful than demons crossed the boundaries to bring people into a right relationship with himself. And so y'all, because Jesus crossed the boundaries, because he went across the Sea of Galilee into the land of the Gentiles to reach them with the gospel, because Jesus left the boundary of heaven, he left the glory of his throne and came to earth born in a dirty manger, in a baby to a teenage girl. We see where Jesus comes and he shows that he is one who crosses boundaries so that those who are far from God can come into a right relationship with him. May it be said of us as a church that we are ready and willing to cross boundaries, to go into dangerous places, to take risks for the sake of the gospel, because we have a story to declare. May we be a church that says, you know what? I'm willing to go across the street. I'm willing to go across the city. I'm willing to go across the, the oceans so that people who are far from God can come into a right relationship with him. And when you make yourself available and say, Lord, here am I, send me, watch what Jesus is going to do. In Mark chapter five, verse 20, you now get to go and proclaim all of what Jesus has done for you. So where has God planted you right here and now? That's your mission field right now. But there's also people right now who are far from God. And it's time 
Maybe for some of you who are a little bit fearful, a little bit trepidation in your heart to say, you know what, I'm willing to go into some boundaries, cross these boundaries, because I wanna see people who are far from God come into a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you.